totally immersed in the wilderness here. There's no escaping it. It's at your door. If I were to step outside right now, you would hear nothing. Nothing. It's amazing, the winter here. You just hear your own heart beating. Welcome to Big Red Canoe, the podcast from Friends of the Boundary Waters Wilderness, where we introduce you to captivating people and intriguing stories from America's treasured wilderness. I'm Dave Meyer. Grab a paddle and hop on in. Those of us who traveled in the Boundary Waters are drawn to the wilderness, and I think it's safe to say that many of us who visited have wondered what it could be like to make our lives more close to the wilderness. So I'm joined today by Ashley Bredemus, who spent much of her life living near the Boundary Waters and is an owner and co-director of Birchwood Wilderness Camp, which is past the end of the Gunflint Trail. Ashley's going to give us a glimpse of what it's like to be in the wilderness full-time. Some of the joys, the challenges, even the mundane things that people might not expect or think about. So thanks for joining us, Ashley. It's great to have you with us. Dave, thank you so much for having me. This is such a fun, um, like, I'm so excited to talk about what it's like to actually live here because there is such a difference versus recreating here. So I'm so happy to be here. So before we get into your life at the end of the Gunflint, tell us a little about where you grew up and the path that brought you here. So I grew up in Grand Rapids, Minnesota, originally, um, and then went to school for mechanical engineering, and that took me to the south, Florida, Alabama, spent a lot of years there. And then um, my dad was a retired school teacher at the time, still still is retired. Uh, he invited me up. He said, why don't you come spend the winter with me up at uh, the boys camp that has been in my family since 68? Nobody's spent a winter here before. And I said, Dad, you do know I have an engineering job. Like, I, <laughs> I work. I live in a different part of the country. Um, but it was just I always wanted to get back to Minnesota. And he said, well, you can find another job to come spend the winter with me. And then you can find a job in like Duluth or Minneapolis or something in the spring. And I thought, yeah, 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 that's a good plan. Let's do that. And so I moved up and um, spent the winter. And then at, during that winter, my uncle was looking to sell this camp. Um, my grandparents had originally started it in 68. And then it's just kind of like gone through the family uh, directors. My cousins have been directors. Uh, my uncle's the owner for many years and he was looking to sell it. My dad and I thought, well, we would love for it to stay in the family. Would it be possible for us to buy it? And so we, you know, sold the farm, so to speak, in Grand Rapids, the house I grew up in and everything and put all of our, all of our eggs into one basket, which is the camp. And it's now where my husband and I live year round, uh, 66 acres here on the Seagull River just before Saginaga. And uh, we share a property line with the Boundary Waters and we run the boys camp. So when you came back, were you thinking that it was temporary and you'd go back to Florida? Was there a specific point that really made you say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to make my home here again? Yeah. I, I mean, I when I moved up here to spend the winter with my dad, I thought, well, I'm not going to go back to Florida or Alabama or anywhere else but Minnesota. I'm going to stay in the state because I love Minnesota. Um, so that's what I thought was going to happen. And then as the winter progressed and this, this possibility of buying the camp came up, I thought, well, boy, I mean, I can always fall back on engineering if it doesn't work out. Uh, I felt pretty comfortable with that, but it was the first time that I really made a big leap, you know, you know, that, that hypothetical jump off the cliff and hope that the thing that you want catches you. And it did, it worked out. Um, and so when we bought the camp, 
I thought, okay, this is what I'm going to do with my summers. And I'm going to live here year round until I'm like in a stable place. The business is going well. And then I will probably live in a place like Duluth for my winters. And then as the years go by, it just kind of inched closer. Okay, maybe, you know, I'll live in Grand Marais for the winters. And then it just got to the point where I thought, why would I want to live anywhere else? I love it here. This is home. Um, and now my my husband and I, who we met at this camp, um, he and I are building a house on the property. So right now we live in a 250 square foot cabin that's just four walls. It's a dry cabin, no running water, no bathroom, a bed, a couch, a wood stove, a desk. Very primitive, simple, which was great for me when I moved in and I was the only one here. And then it got a little bit smaller when I got a big shepherd dog. Uh, but got even better because she was there. And then my now husband moved in and it got even smaller, but even better. And and now we want to welcome a little one in the coming years. And it's just, it's time for a house. But yeah, we're here to stay. So what's been different then coming in as an adult and being around Birchwood and kind of being on the other side of running the camp? It's been so different. Um, I mean, none of this was ever in my plans, right? Like, owning i remember as a kid some family member asked like would you ever want to own one of the camps no never it was never on my radar never in my plans it's just as if fate kind of intervened um and i'm glad it did because owning this place you know it's it's a different experience than being a camper here i'm not uh i'm not going on the trips i'm not uh going to the archery ranges and participating I'm a business owner, right? And and I'm responsible for, at any given time, 46 boys and 20 plus staff. So there's a ton of responsibility that comes with that. Um, but it's, it's an interesting, uh, you know, I view myself as the steward of this place, not so much the, the business owner and the steward of, of the land here, of the business, of the experience that these kids have in it, it gives my role here more purpose than when I was just, you know, building the water slide with my dad or at the archery ranges or paddling, whatever it is as a, as a kid. Um, so it's just, it's, it's made the experience even richer and more full and more fulfilling. That's a cool concept, both the jumping off into a dream that catches you and embracing stewardship and the responsibility that comes with that. What's been the hardest thing that you've done as an owner and leader at the camp? So the hardest things are uh, the most rewarding things as well. And they directly mirror the the hardest and most rewarding things for our campers and our staff. Because like I said, I feel very tied to being a a steward of their experience here. I want it to be a, especially for our first time campers, a positive experience in the boundary waters in this beautiful wilderness. And so that inevitably is going to come with challenges for them, whether it be homesickness or there's a another camper in their cabin they're not getting along with or the mosquitoes are getting to them and they're just, you know, they're encountering all of these little micro adversities and these challenges that are uncomfortable, but are the moments of of growth that are going to last the rest of their lives, right? And so those challenges become my challenges because I'm so entwined with stewarding their experience. And the same goes for our staff too. So those are the hardest parts is trying to be that 
that mentor with patience and listening to understand and trying to make this the most positive, beneficial outcome for them. And in turn, those are the most rewarding things as well. When they leave here at the end of two weeks or four weeks and they made it through that crippling homesickness and they stayed and they're so proud of themselves, you know what I mean? Um, And they're talking about next year already and they're hugging their friends goodbye. It's really, really rewarding. It's great to see those turnarounds. Yeah, it's just, and especially with the pandemic, I think so many of our campers, they got really comfortable at home and in a city and coming to camp was very confronting for them. Not just the social aspect of like being around kids again, but then also, you know, being in the wilderness where it's it's not always comfortable. And sometimes I, you know, I, I like to let our campers and our staff kind of sit in that discomfort a little bit because that's when I've noticed that the biggest growth happens with them. So, yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of uh, challenges here in this wilderness. Yeah, as a trip leader and someone who takes on that responsibility of bringing new people to the wilderness, you can find yourself trying to bridge the gap sometimes of, why is this worth it? Why are we doing this? And getting to that point of the rewarding feeling that you get. Um, but in the end, I, I think it usually takes care of itself. It's You never want to go into the trip that's going to be like raining the whole time. Like That's never the trip that you want. But those are always the ones you hear people like regaling stories of, right? That um Yvonne Chenard the owner of Patagonia he I remember a line from him that was uh what was it the adventure doesn't begin until things start going wrong um you need a little element of that sometimes for the adventure to really set in Uh, my very first trip into the boundary waters I don't remember where we put in it was my dad myself and our little Jack Russell Terrier Sparky and we were going to end our trip here at the boys camp and goodness I can't remember where we put in though maybe like West Bearskin or something it wasn't like a big trip but we got to Gunflint Lake and right before Gunflint Lake we had to pull over to a campsite because it was storming and we set up a tent and it's just pouring rain and I'm thinking oh my gosh what am I doing here and my dad is making me eat spam I'm like this is this is so weird. And we the, the storm passes, well, the rain passes, but the wind is still just going. And we get on a Gunflint Lake. And any of our campers or staff listening or anybody who's paddled on Gunflint Lake can know. Gunflint Lake is long and the wind can be horrible. And so we're paddling upwind and I am just ready to give up. I, I've had it with this trip and we're maybe like halfway through it. And... I tell my dad, like, where can we pull out of this situation? I'm done. And we get to Gunflint Lodge and I'm like, right, I'm giving up. I give up. I'm I'm done. Let's go. Let's figure out how to get out of here. And somehow we get a car and we're like driving back down the Gunflint and I'm hanging my head low thinking, oh, I've just given up. I've, I, I felt bad about it, you know? And I said, oh, dad, through gritted teeth, dad, turn this car around. And we turned around and we got back in the canoe on Gunflint Lake and we finished the trip. And I felt so good about myself, right? I'm this like little nine-year-old kid. Um, So those are never the trips you want. 
but they're always the ones that make you grow exponentially, right? Right. That's amazing. I'm glad you turned around and that you have that treasured memory with your dad. Um, so we're going to take a quick break here and be right back with Ashley Brodimus. With over 1,200 lakes and hundreds of miles of trails, it's no wonder that people spend a lifetime exploring the Boundary Waters. With so many possibilities, it can be daunting to figure out where to go. Whether you seek adventure, solitude, or want to reconnect with others, Friends of the Boundary Waters has extensive online resources to help you get the most out of your Boundary Waters experience. Visit www.friends-bwca.org slash explore for more information. You know, you mentioned your cabin where you're living in this, did you say 250 square foot cabin? So what are the challenges of living there? I imagine it's not all cozy. Yeah, it's definitely not all cozy when it's February and there's been two weeks of like negative 30 and you wake up and the cabin is 35 degrees and you don't want to get out from under the covers and get a, the fire going in the wood stove because that's how we heat our cabin is just the the wood stove um so yeah there's definitely challenges some of those challenges are why we're building a house like I would like a bathroom with running water and like a heated space you know what I mean um so yeah live anytime you're gonna live in a primitive situation like this and especially it's it's compounded by the fact that we can't get here with a car and the nearest town is Grand Marais, which is an hour drive away after a you know five minute snowmobile drive or boat ride um so if you forget like the cream cheese at the grocery store, you're not going back for it, you know? So there's definitely a bunch of challenges with it, but those challenges just pale in comparison to the things that I don't miss, you know? Uh, winter here is my favorite season. It's the off season for us. I mean, we're still working, but if I want to sit on this couch behind us in front of this wood stove and read a book all afternoon, I'm going to do it. You know what I mean? And there's no there's no road noise in front of the cabin that I'm hearing. If I were to step outside right now, you would hear nothing. Nothing. It's amazing, the winter here. You just hear your own heart beating. Um, so yeah, there's definitely challenges. They're all like very basic challenges, like where you go to the bathroom, how do you keep your space warm, you know, getting the firewood for the season, stuff like that. But those are all so simple. Yeah. So yeah. And you mentioned you don't have water. So how do you get water? Um, so my dad has a cabin up the hill uh, and that cabin has um, we've got we've built an aqueduct down to the river so we can pump water into a 200 gallon tank in his cabin to do dishes, uh, runs through a filter. So that's drinking water. Um, we even have a shower. But in the winter, there's no septic. It's all just carry in, carry out sort of situation for water. Um, so that's how I get water. I go to my dad's cabin up the hill and he lives, he, he, he likes to joke and say, oh, I moved south in the winter. He moves down to Duluth um, where his sweetheart yeah. lives in the winter. And so that cabin is kind of vacant, but it's the camp office as well. So that's where I spend most of my days is in his cabin. You mentioned getting firewood for winter. What do you have to do to get firewood? Um, and then what about the other seasons? Are there other things, uh, kinds of things that you have to do to get ready for them? Yeah. 
Absolutely. I mean, when you own 66 acres that have a bunch of buildings on it, there's always something to do to get ready for something, right? Whether it's getting ready for winter or getting ready for summer, there's always something. But for us to comfortably enjoy winter, that means every fall we're getting uh, between six and eight cords of firewood that that we have it delivered to the end of the Gunflint Trail already split and everything. Um, it's just dumped off there. We have a huge barge. So we haul all the firewood onto our barge, bring it back down the river, put it onto a four-wheeler in like, you know, it takes a ton of loads on the four-wheeler, drive it up the hill to the back of the cabin, stack all of it, and then that's ready. So we'll spend a couple weeks getting firewood. And then firewising for the wildfire season, um, we'll process any of that too and use that. So yeah, firewood is a really big thing for us. And then at the end of the summer, uh, well, end of fall, really, we're winterizing everything, meaning that we're, you know, shutting down the water systems, basically, and setting up our winter water just for that one cabin and and shutting down all the other buildings. So there's always something to do. And then when summer is coming, it's just like even more stuff to do. Um a tree fell on this, we've got to repair this, or, you know, a mouse got into this, or there's always something. But firewood is the the main thing. And that's spring, uh, the stuff you talked about, you know, getting the getting things repaired and getting things going um, before the campers show up, I suppose. Yeah, correct. And it's, things are, like, we're, we're building stuff right now. I mean, we will be working on projects all winter. It's just limited what we can do. As soon as that river opens up, it is nonstop, all hands on deck. We've got to get ready. Um, once that river is clear of ice, we can put the water trampoline in and the log roll and, you know, set up the waterfront and get the water going and all of that. Yeah, there's a ton of setup in the spring. So I'm going to switch gears here and just ask about the edge of the wilderness and, you know, the joy that we find in the wilderness and nature when we're camping or hiking or paddling. Um, but here you are, you know, running a business and very, very busy. I'm sure it must be something you still want to seek out. Do you find yourself being intentional about making room for wilderness or is it just a part of your day to day life? So, you know, in the summer, I think if you ask any business owner along the Gunflint Trail, you're not getting to go paddling like, you know, the the folks that are recreating are. I'm not going on any overnight trips. Um, when my husband and I were just on the staff and we weren't owners, we would take our 24 hours off every week and we would go like to Rose Lake and do an overnight Um We need to be in camp now in case there's an emergency. So we're not going anywhere in the summertime. And if you ask my husband this question, he would say, yeah, I wish I had more time to go fishing in the summer, but he makes up for it in the winter. I mean, he was just up in Canada fishing yesterday, took the snowmobiles up with some of our neighbors and went fishing. Um, so we, we do, we make up for things in, in the, in the winter time, which is my favorite season. I mean, summer is beautiful. There's no doubt about it, but winter is just my season. I love winter. So yeah, it's, whether it's, I'm looking out the window right now and taking in a beautiful wilderness. So it doesn't take a whole lot of effort or you can put in a ton of effort. We used to go winter camping every winter. We didn't, we didn't go last winter and we haven't gone this winter, but I mean, if you want to go full tilt, maximum effort, go winter camping. <laughs> it's, 
unlike anything else. Um, and then there's everything in between, right? I was just snow sh- snowshoeing with a bunch of my girlfriends who live along the Gunflint Trail last week. We go out snowshoeing and then we pile into somebody's cabin and have a charcuterie board and chit chat and drink wine. You know what I mean? Um, or just go for a walk. My neighbor just yesterday um, from Voyager Canoe Outfitters was go- making a-, a-, a track on the river for everybody to ski and walk on. So it's, I mean, it's just like walking around the block, but on a river in the wilderness. Um, so yeah, there's all sorts of little ways in which we let the wilderness in. It's it's more so the opposite. Like what are the ways in which the normal life kind of creeps in? Uh, because it is, it's inevitable that you're, you're totally immersed in the wilderness here. There's no escaping it. It's, it's at your door at every moment. Um, did that answer your question? What more can I say on that? I, yeah, I think so. And I think it's, it kind of seems like it's fortunate that when you say winter is your favorite season, because that's when you have the most time, it sounds like that summer, you know, camping and doing recreation is kind of a no-go for you. Does that mean you try to squeeze in something in the spring or in the fall? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I usually will go on our, our staff training trip, which is just an overnight in the Boundary Waters. Um and then in the fall, usually in the fall, my husband and I go on a trip somewhere else, like to a city, because this is our life here in the wilderness, you know. Um, I, in the summer, I just take it, it. My, I get so much joy in the summer by helping others really enjoy recreating in the Boundary Waters, all of our campers and our staff. Um, and living here at the edge of it in my little cabin, you know, kind of scratches the itch for me. Um but yeah, in our in in the fall, we do a ton of hiking, and um, I haven't been on a you know a week long trip in the Boundary Waters in a while though. It's just different when you live here versus recreating here. It's not that I take the Boundary Waters for granted. That is quite the opposite. We spend a lot of time in the Boundary Waters. I mean, who else on a Tuesday just decides after lunch I'm gonna we're gonna snowmobile up onto Saginaw in the Boundary Waters and go fishing for the afternoon? We do stuff like that just like incorporated into our daily lives as opposed to some big trip that we plan. I think it's nice that you're into winter. I feel like every year I'm trying new strategies to get out and enjoy it and just, but just to get through it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm the obnoxious person who's like not ready for winter to go I know so many people that are the opposite at the end of the summer. They're like, no, please, I don't want to see the snow. And I'm just the opposite. I love winter because it is just so the opposite of what our culture is. Our culture is just like the pace of summer all year long. There's no chance for like the renewal and rest that is winter. I'm all about that. I love that. And I'm also all about, you know, kind of redefining what it means to be an outdoors person. You don't have to be the person that like summits Everest. Uh, you can be an outdoors person by just sitting out here on your porch and 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 taking in the wilderness. There's all these different ways in which you can be an outdoors person. And I think winter really teaches you that. Uh, it's it's quite confronting if you're used to being the person that's that's moving all the time and, and just going at this fast pace. So I understand why it's not for everybody. <laughs> so I'm thinking of how you share it back with new people who have an interest but don't quite know how to do it and the ins and outs of it. And um, 
So I'm wondering, um, as that type of outdoors person uh, that you describe, how do you set about cultivating that ideal and, and sharing that with others? So the obvious way is, is through, through our camp. Um, throughout the summer, we'll see 200 uh, campers and, and staff here. And uh, a lot of them, it's their first time ever having done anything like this. So having, having a positive experience is, uh, for them is a, is a big priority for me. And it's something that I, I, I talk with parents all winter on the phone about this, about you know really fostering a positive first experience for our campers, because then that just, uh, as they grow older, it, they have a strong bond with a place like the Boundary Waters. Right. And that's our goal here is to pass the torch to another generation that really cares about this place. So um, stewarding that experience for these kids is very important to me. And then sharing it online on Instagram and a little bit on YouTube uh, is is important for me to share with other women, especially Um, other other women who maybe don't consider themselves outdoors women. Uh, but it's totally within their realm. You know what I mean? Um, so sharing what it's like to to live here in this cabin, you know, the whole cabin life deal, and also at the edge of the Boundary Waters, what it means to live in this particular region with this beautiful, pristine wilderness in my backyard. Um, I don't consider myself some, like, really experienced, impressive outdoors woman. I'm just your at, like, I can... I can paddle a canoe. I can do all those. I can start a fire, you know. Um, but I'm just an average Jane, and and I like to show other women that you can do this. If this appeals to you, um, it is totally within your reach. So online, I do that. Instagram, some YouTube, and then camp for the kids. That's so cool. That's what it's all about. And have you ever had any women share with you, you know, that that uh, they've come back and done a big trip or any campers that have uh, come back to you as adults? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we So at the end of every summer, we host a yoga retreat, a women's yoga retreat um, with a, a women-owned yoga retreat business called Boreal Bliss Yoga Retreats. And that is like one of the highlights of my summer is, is having these women come here. And I remember... After there was one gal who she just co- keeps coming back every summer to these yoga retreats. And every summer, it's like something new that she's taken her husband on a Boundary Waters trip, just the two of them now. And it went really well. And now they're planning a bigger trip, uh, you know, like a week long trip or something. Um, but really, it's I love having women come here to camp because we will send them on uh, like a short little Boundary Waters trip, like a day trip. But just seeing them be like kids and men and women alike is just so magical to see we've got a big um tree swing here seeing adults we've had we had a a 70 plus year old woman go off the swing a couple summers ago and it the the look in her face looked just the same as like one of our seven-year-old campers going off of that swing and so they discover this like childlike play here in the wilderness that is just timeless and then they go on a day trip and they get the chance to portage a canoe and they come back just feeling like Wonder Women. I mean, it does wonders for a woman's confidence to realize, oh my gosh, I can portage a canoe, you know? Um, 
And then we all gather around the campfire on the last night and share our stories. And then that just really ties it up with a bow of like, wow, we all feel this similar way. And they bond over that. So I don't know if that answered your question, but yes, it's wonderful having women here and see how that impacts them once they leave. I think yoga and meditation in the Boundary Waters is kind of, you know, underrated. <laughs> I think it's something that more people could probably clue into. Um, like, let's stretch it out here. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's what the Boundary Waters is. It is. I mean, when you go out there, the moments that I recall when I'm out there are those moments where you don't you don't feel like an individual. You just feel like you're part of the landscape. and and time stops. You know what I mean? So yoga and meditation and the boundary waters are like peanut butter and jelly. Those go so well together. Yep. Yep. And then a little bit of yoga also just physically, you can kind of take care of yourself after, you know, getting crunched uh, under a canoe on a portage, <laughs> especially if it's aluminum. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> or that Duluth pack, or if you try to double up, you know, then kind of, kind of, uncompact uh those uh discs that have probably fused together in your back so um well well this has been a great conversation and um i'm i'm just curious um kind of what's uh what what's coming up for you what's on your list for 2023 as a business person and uh as a as a recreationalist or, or uh even for vacation yeah a lot 2023 we've got big plans I mean, Wednesday is permit opening day. So I don't know when people will be listening to this, but we're going to be on Wednesday. We're going to be buying all of our permits for the summer. So we've got our trips planned. Yeah. Um, yeah. You've got to do that. I didn't even think about that as a, you've, you've, you need those permits. Correct. So yeah, we've got all of our, our trips planned. We've got some exciting trips because Canada's open now. So we before the pandemic hit, we used to send Quetico trips a lot as well. I mean, Boundary Waters trips are our bread and butter, but the, the Quetico trips, we had a handful of those. So we're excited to send those again. We're excited to send some Crownlands fishing trips again too. Um, of course, our Boundary Waters trips. Uh, one of our, our classic ones is from Camp to Ely paddling the Voyager Highway along the the border there. Um, I believe we're going to be sending some of our senior campers on the the Grand Portage, so from Camp to Lake Superior. So we've got a lot of really great trips that we're excited about. We've got two assistant directors this summer. We're excited to have those on staff. We haven't had those before since my husband and I have been directing. Um, a couple of really great people, and that will free up a little bit of time for us to work on building our house. We're so excited about that. That's a huge project. My dad built the house that I grew up in. So it's he's helping us. It's just us building. Um, so that's a big project. And then, you know, in the fall, we always go somewhere. Who knows where we're... We, last year, we went to Normandy, France, and that was amazing. It's funny. When we go on trips, we like... We'll fly into big cities, and we're just itching to get out of these big cities. And we always find ourselves in these tiny little towns that, like, emulate Grand Marais in some some form. So we were in all of these little French, like, seaside towns. And then our honeymoon year before that, we were in these little Italian, like, seaside fishing villages. And so I don't know if we're really ever escaping home or just looking for it in different places, but... 
You know, for some of our people who will be listening to this podcast, they might not have a chance uh, or be near to the wilderness as you are. And so from where you sit, what are ways that people can bring more boundary waters and more wilderness into their lives? I love that question because you're right. Inevitably, there are so many people that aren't going to be able to go for a trip in the boundary waters. Um or not consistently anyways. And, you know, maybe you live in a big city with a lot of noise and just a lot going on and busy schedules. And, and how do you kind of distill some of those values of being in the boundary waters and bringing them into your day-to-day life? And I think there are definitely practical ways in which you can do that. I mean, most places you can at least get outside some park, some little nature scape, but even if you can't do that, I think the thing that I love the most about the Boundary Waters is the perspective that it gives you because it cuts out all of the noise of like a very modern lifestyle. You know what I mean? So I'm not saying that you need to meditate. Meditation is great, but I'm saying find a way to cut out the noise, cut out the road noise, turn your phone off, log out of social media for two weeks. Just find a way to cut out all of the noise and be present with the things that you find fun or enjoyable. Like I like spending time with my dog. Okay. So if I was in a city, my dog Arlo and I, I, we would just like log out of everything, close the laptop, turn, turn the phone off. Arlo and I would just hang out and, and not, we would just shut out the rest of the world, close out the noise. You know what I mean? Cause there's so much noise. That's one thing when I moved here, if I could feel a relief when you get on the Gunflint Trail, there are these giant white pines that you pass about 10 miles in. And funny enough, as if you were going through like the wardrobe into Narnia, cell phone service cuts out right there after you go through those trees. And you can feel it. It feels like a giant relief, like, oh, nobody can get a hold of me. There's no billboards, there's hardly any other cars. It's just such a relief. So anything that you can do that brings you that relief, I think, is just a slice of the boundary waters in your day-to-day life. Fantastic. That's great advice. <laughs> awesome. Ace it. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm just wondering uh, if you can tell people where they can find you online and uh, and if there's anything else you'd like to tell us about uh, about your life near the Boundary Waters Wilderness. You can find me on Instagram at uh, Ashley Bredemus, just my full name. And I believe it's the same on YouTube as well. And then our website is birchwoodwildernesscamp.com. Um, I think the one thing that I want to share about Birchwood is that we've finally got a nonprofit organization for scholarships for low-income and BIPOC kiddos. That wouldn't otherwise be able to come to camp. So we've got a place on our website where you can you can donate, or if you're looking for a scholarship, you can apply for one. We've got a handful this year that we're going to be giving out. Um, so yeah, just like for everybody listening, if you've got some kiddos in your life, um, consider that. Ashley, thank you so much for joining me and for you know kind of sharing your life with our listeners and your view out the cabin window. I appreciate it. Thank you so much well, for having me. This has been a really great chat. And thank you, everyone, for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend and leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. 
We'll be covering a wide range of recreational topics this season, from hiking trails to tips and tricks, and we'll meet some great personalities from the BWCA along the way, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Big Red Canoe is a presentation of Friends of the Boundary Waters Wilderness, original music by Surge and the Swell. I'm Dave Meyer, and we'll see you next time on Big Red Canoe. Almost 50 years ago, a group of friends met at a diner and began to organize a movement. They formed a group dedicated to preserving the pristine waters and forests of northeastern Minnesota. Through grassroots organizing, they helped pass the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness Act, which protected the Boundary Waters for future generations. Today, that organization, Friends of the Boundary Waters, continues its work to protect, preserve, and restore this cherished wilderness. Whether it's through fighting toxic mining proposals at the edge of the Boundary Waters, or introducing the next generation to the wonders of the BWCA, our strength is in our members. It is in you. To learn more and find out how you can join this community today, please visit www.friends-bwca.org.